And to see people who've never had to put their hand out for something, take food, like, you know what I mean? And see their soul break. Two weeks ago, I sat in my car and I cried on the way home. And I'm actually getting quite emotional now. Uh, I cried on the way home to see my staff be reduced to putting their hand out for food, which you should never have to do. That broke my heart. And that's what wake me up to do the soup kitchen. I was like, you know, we, we'll do the soup kitchen, but it's not a handout and you, whatever. You just take food and then you, you just fucking give me a handshake in six months time. That's all I want. Oh, actually, give me a hug. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. You might know him as a colourful judge on My Kitchen Rules, but to many in the industry, Colin Fajnich is a great mate a larrikin and a chef that changed our perceptions of pub dining. Now he's doing whatever he can to help consumers and out-of-work hospo by doing what he does best, cook and make people laugh. Faz, mate, you seem busier than ever. I've actually uh, been, uh, when this whole corona thing kicked in, panicked and was very unemployed. I lost three jobs in a week. Uh, Basically, my cooking job, my TV job, and whatever other festivals I had. So I, I sort of panicked, uh, like everybody. Yeah. And then I started this little uh, soup kitchen thing, and that blew up into something I didn't expect. So I'm, I'm busy now. Still unemployed, but busy. <laughs> 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 well, that's good. I mean, uh, someone like you as well needs to be busy, I think. I think you'd go mad if you weren't. That's exactly I'm I'm what is it idle hands and the devil whatever that is that's me <laughs> you know I've got I've got to be busy uh, plus it's good for my head I can't I, I can't just sit there and, and do nothing yeah well let's go back and have a look I mean I mean you just blasted in all sorts of information there which was terrible about losing all those jobs and closing your businesses can you just sort of paint a picture of, of what happened in that first week and and how it played out for you uh, well, we sort of we sort of knew. I said on na- actual national TV that it was, the restaurants were going to close on the Sunday because we knew a lot of people in the in the cinemas and, and sort of big industry that had sort of got a word in before we even did that it was coming. And I said, and a lot of people blasted me saying, you know, you're, you're scaremongering or whatever. And I said, mate, I'm not scaremongering. I'm in the same boat. Like I'm going to have to close my business, and I, you know, but I think people should be ready. And maybe start planning ahead, like especially like kitchens full of food and everything. And we have to close down. So, and then it happened, and and we were basically told because uh, we work with the pub group, uh, Pat Ryan, great guy, uh, Banks here, yeah, and them, that they were going to turn off when the pubs close. It's more expensive to keep the pub open. Like so, it was pointless for us doing takeaway. So they were going to turn off the power, the water, the light. Christ! And I was yeah. like, fuck! Like there goes my plan of sort of skimming by and take away or whatever like that that was taken away from me yeah and uh, so obviously i panicked like everyone else a few sleepless nights and uh and then obviously uh tv lands like there's no one's making tv like you just saw oh, everything's been axed so that's gone um but you know I'm, I'm sort of the glass half full person um uh i'll, I'll talk about that later but i mean I, uh, before we closed, I said, basically, we're sitting on the deck of the Titanic here. Let's grab the deck chairs and jump. So we uh, <laughs> got all the food in the building and prepped yeah. it to give it away rather than throw it away. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I, that's where the soup kitchen came. I said, because I, I did a dinner, the third birthday party at Banksy the week before, and all the locals came in, and a lot worked for Qantas and whatever around the, that area. And they were saying things could get bad and we'll lose a job, and this is probably our last night out for a year. And I was like, you know, like all our locals are now broke and can't eat out. So I said, rather than throw all this food away, and there was a lot of food, man, we, uh, we, we did it up for the locals. And then it sort of got out there and people sort of jumped on board because that's what the hospitality industry is. You know what I mean? We're all doing it tough, but then they still want to – we cook for a living. That's what we do. I mean, we're not cooking. I don't know what we're going to do. Who, who got on board? What sort of people are you talking about? People like Anthony Paharic rang me. Like, and he's lost a lot of his business. Anthony's one of my best friends. He's lost a lot of his business because no restaurants are buying meat anymore. So he's just working from his factory. Vix Meats, yeah. So, and he's doing the Vix Meat Market now. So he's basically down in Mascot pushing out the best meat you can buy. And he gave me like three to four grand's worth of meat. And he hasn't got that to be giving it away, in all fairness. Like any of us, he's doing it tough. Uh, Jules down in the fish market in Johto, they gave me uh, 200 kilos of salmon. And uh, Aura King salmon, uh, Meredith Goat's Cheese Dairy sent me up tons of goat's cheese. Millie Hill Lamb, he like he is doing a tough himself on the farm because no one's buying it. But he said, mate, I, I don't have money to give away, or but I want to do something as much as it, I don't have it. So he gave me lamb. Wow, and these producers like they're hurting as much as everyone at the moment. And oh, they're they're in a world of pain. You know what I mean? I think the the veg suppliers are doing all right. Uh, and Burke Street Baker are giving me bread every day, so we can hand in that out. It's you know, it's and people like Mike Benny's handing all the food I get from it out of his shop. So can you tell us a bit about the soup kitchen? So obviously, originally it was to feed locals, but it's obviously grown to be something more than that. So uh, who's involved? Like, what's what's happening, and who is it for? It's it's like everything I do. I don't really think it true, and I started out small, and then it turns into this <laughs> fucking colossal thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this one's a good one. Usually, I'm in trouble, and it gets worse and gets bigger. But this is this is a good one. Uh, yeah. It's it's it started out with me and uh, Jimmy Calloway, who works with me, and we were like, you know, things are bad. And what was really pissing me off was like the people in the supermarkets clearing the fucking shelves of pasta sauce and things that people need and people in hospitals and locals and fighting over fucking toilet rolls. I don't know what we're going to do with all these toilet rolls, um, apart from block up the system. Uh, and I was like, we need to show like in our hospital that there is, not everyone is like that. And there is people out there in bad times that, you know, like all our suppliers, they're the little diamonds of light that shine you know, in, in the dark times that there is good people out there and it's not like the 28 days later and it's not going to go end in drama. We will get through it and you'll probably be a better person when you come out the other side. And so rather than the doom and gloom, which I said I'm sort of the glass half full, I tried to shine a bit of light on the, on the good side. So I think, and the suppliers are like that as well because, mate, there's nothing else to do and I, I can't sit at home and wallow. I have to do something. And what I noticed yesterday is when we handed out all the hampers, all the hospitals were hitting me up on Instagram uh, with their hampers and how they were going to cook it. And, and the thing that made me quite sad, actually, was hospitals who served me in restaurants were like, I served you a month ago, and now I'm cooking your hamper because I'm at home. And I was like, so that, that's who we're, we're helping out. And so many got helped yesterday. It was amazing. That's awesome. I mean, why did you get into hospitality in the first place? And, you know, 
what, what, what was the apprentice fascinage like when you first got in? <laughs> I got into hospitality as a chef, obviously, because I couldn't count or read. So <laughs> I, I was going was to be a shit accountant and I was never going to be a journalist. Well, I can't count either, mate, so it's okay. But you can read. <laughs> I read Braille. Um, <laughs> cooking in my house was major, like an Irish household. I think like a lot of chefs, that's how we got into it or whatever. Food was always a happy thing and, and sort of seen as love and talked around. Like the kitchen table was where everything happened. You know, you spoke about school. You spoke about how you got expelled. You spoke about, <laughs> you know, how you got in trouble. How, you know, how you got grounded and... But everything was around the table. Like it was no phone in our house. You only had the one phone in the hallway, which my old man took off the um, the the dial, so no one could talk. So dinner times were seen as like a family time. And I think food was always. And I always wanted to cook. And then the young fascinage went. Uh, I worked for free as a, as a dishy. I don't know how to call it dish big because I hate that word. I worked as a dishy, uh, and then I got a job as an apprentice for free. And then I, you know. Worked in really good places in Dublin, and then it ended up going to college, uh, which I loved. I loved going to college, and you got paid to go to college. I, I got paid to cook, and I'm like, this is great, you know, and learn. And then I went to work for Raymond Blanc, and I went in this romantic view of um, how cooking was going to be, and I got a smack in the face day one. I was just like, well, literally. <laughs> um, I went into a kitchen of 35 chefs. I thought I knew my shit. I knew nothing. I was just, it was hardcore. It was like, it was like a prison camp. Obviously, look, in them days, I went there and I worked, I was there. I worked 16 hours a day. Uh, I ate hardly at I'd abs. I look great. Uh, um, <laughs> and I just worked my ass off and learned. I just learned from the best in the world. And obviously the world has changed now. And if my kids wanted to be chefs, would I want them to do that? No, because that's not the way to do it. But I, I, I've done it. Uh, so that was Raymond Blanc. Uh, I've seen stuff I will never see again, like food-wise and, and just amazing experiences. And then I worked for Gordon Ramsay. Same hole, you know, same, same sort of uh, work ethic. You work hard, very hard. If you're good, they look after you. If you're not, they get rid of you. I got looked after. Uh, and then I came to Australia and worked for uh, Liam Tomlin. Same story. Funny story, my worst ever bollocking in my life was from Liam Tomlin. Liam Tomlin made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Tell us about that. They put me on the, on the meat. Uh, so Warren Turnbull, who's my best friend, him and me were on the meat section. Justin North was in the middle. I think uh, Brett Graham was on the larder. Look at that for a uh, Daryl Falstead was somewhere else. Uh who uh, ever like what a kitchen man? Uh, Kempy was on one side of the pass, and Liam Matt Kemp and Liam Tomlin was running the service Friday, so they stuck me on Friday lunch, ninety booked. How did you get any work done? You got the banter must have been insane. Yeah, oh, Kempy was a Kempy was a demon. He was he he Kempy would be your friend outside, and then in work he'd come in and kill you, and blame you for being out drinking the night before with him. <laughs> it was it was like a setup. Um, and then I had a beef Rossini dish on the Friday and I, I don't know, I just got in the weeds. It was my first day on the meat. I don't know why they put me on the busiest day on the Friday. Anyway, and uh, I was like 30 Rossini short and Liam like had these big hairy hands and the orders were stacking up and I was so far behind. It was like a big black Irish tarantula pulled me over the pass and I just, man, <laughs> he just ripped me one. And I was broken after that day. Like I actually cried, but I didn't let him see it. 
But uh, I still love Liam. Liam's still still one of my great friends. You know that that sort of period of Australian dining, that restaurant was was pretty you know, created as you were saying, like that rock star team that went on to do many amazing restaurants in Australia. And you ended up doing four in hand, which sort of changed our perceptions of what pub dining could be. Um, what, what was your thinking behind that? Was it really sort of digging, digging into your roots or? Oh, I think everyone um, at that stage of cooking was doing a uh, sort of the same style. Like we were doing the sort of Brit Irish that's sort of what bank was or the Brit Irish models sort of thing. And everything was a bit, uh, I thought was a bit poncy. And then, so I went to a pub and I'm like, it's not really my style. I can, tr- I can make stuff nice, but that, like not too nice. And like, like, uh, so I started doing stuff that I liked, like pig's trotters, like stuff I, I grew up on and loved and pig's trotters. And, and then I came up with the pig ear schnitzel thing that sort of blew up and, and, and then I started to just, I found my feet in, in my sort of nose to tell cooking. And I was, I was so happy back then. I sometimes wish I could go back there. <laughs> no kids, no nothing. Just look after my little section. Um, and at the start, it was very hard. There was no one would eat with us. I think we did six covers a night. People said we'd go bust. And we were serving pig's ears and stuff like that. And they were like, well, we serve that to our dog. And then, and then we got recognition. And then we started to get more recognition. And then, and then one day we ended up with two hats and there was a big uproar. How does a pub get two hats? And there was like, there was actually a lot of pressure then. I actually didn't want two hats because the, the amount of pressure on us then, and we were sort of changing when we got two hats and, and I didn't want to do that. So we went back to what we, we did. We stayed strong and we, and we kept it. So it was good. And people sort of, I think a recession happened in between that as well. Uh, so people were serving bowls of foam downtown for fucking $35 for a bowl of carrot foam. And then the recession came in and people were like, mate, I want to eat real food cooked by real chefs and I don't want the, the micro herbs in a bowl of foam. I want like proper lamb shoulders. I want proper, you know, beef cheeks or, you know. So I think we, we sort of blossomed in that era as well. And a lot of great cooks came out of our kitchen. I think that kind of real food thing is, is the, at the core of the hospitality sector. I mean, what does food and hospitality sector mean to you? And it's particularly the Australian one. Um, I think nowadays the hospital we're like we're so entrenched in with our suppliers. Like I, I hang out with our suppliers, our fish suppliers, our meat suppliers, our farmers. They're, they're my friends. So I think we're so we so know what's going on in say the fields or whatever, or what's and we're trying to support them, I think, more than ever. So, and keep it simple rather than mess around with their products. And I think that's what the hospital people like to eat. Like we want to keep it simple. And and just flavour. I don't. Know, I think we want to know where it comes from, and less of the uh, the palaver, the stories about it. And the, the connections, I guess, is what's helped drive this soup kitchen idea that you have. You know, with the producers just jumping on board straight away because that it's innately in our food system now that that connection with farmers. Yeah, and I think um, like the farmers, they're like a giving group, and, and hospitality. Like we cook, we give, we serve people every day. No matter about you might think I'm on my TV land job. That's you know I still am in my hospitality world as well. And we, I'm a cook. That's what I do. And we don't know how to do anything else. So when times get tough, I think even our suppliers they, and farmers, we do what we do, and know that when it comes good, people will realize who looked after who. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what you need to realize. People need to realize who's looking after them. 
How do you think the hospitality sector can bounce back from this? Obviously, we're a bit unsure about you know when doors can reopen and stuff like that. But um, what are some of the solutions do you think out there, and what do you think is going to happen? Look, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty dire. Uh, a lot of people will go to the wall. A lot of people will go bust. Uh, in saying that, I think I know like myself. I was before all this happened, and uh, I had the TV, I had the restaurants, I had uh, every festival lined up and gigs, which pay my mortgage. I've got a mortgage like everyone else. It's on hold at the moment, uh, and I was saying to myself, in life, I'm actually quite fucking bored. You know what I mean? I need to, I'm sort of in a rut and I need to change. Little did I know that Corona came around the corner and kicked everything into change, <laughs> whether I liked it or not. And uh, like, we, we're like, we're, we're like everybody scrambling. Like we tried to do the takeaway, but it wasn't feasible for us. And now we're doing sort of online cookery classes. So we did like a hundred people uh, last Friday and we're doing 150 people uh, this Friday and it's paid through uh, banks here. So, and then I've got a 200 class the next week. So can you just tell us about that just briefly? So what's happening there? You're doing a live cooking demonstration for 150 people. So a company buys the um, the uh, class for their – because usually they used to buy them drinks on the uh, Friday night or some whatever way they work in insurance and, uh, and lawyers. they got a great life. So instead of that now, they're all at home working. So their company buys them a cookery lesson and they all join in. And we drop off the ingredients to the house. So we all cook it live at the same time and have a glass of wine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then Banksy gets an invoice and then all our staff drive, drive the food to the venues or the people. So we've, we give them a fee. So, you know, especially the ones who aren't getting looked after by the government, we're now paying, keeping their rent going. And that's that's the only reason we do it because you're not you're not you're not going to make a million dollars over. But I'm paying all our staff. Yeah, and that's pretty important right now. Oh yeah, like it's pretty heartbreaking to see these guys who work for you, and then the government like fucking scum. I'll just go home. Like thanks for working for us for all this time, but just go home now, mate. You can't just go home. Yeah. Uh, so you know some of the places they go home to are even worse than than us here, and he wants to send them home. So I'm said to the guys, look, I know it's a hard time, but we'll, we'll help you with your rent or whatever. And food, obviously, we're feeding them. Um, and then this other world opened up of, whoa, on these online cookery classes, where this is like something new and these, you know, everyone's having their house parties or whatever. It will lead on to something else. Like, everything's changing now. Like, you know, it's, it's, everything is changing. And I think some good will come out of this terrible mess. How do you see the restaurant industry changing and what do you think will be the industry once we get through this i think it'll be uh, a lot more uh, value for money um i think a lot of the uh, the sort of rubbish out there will be gone and there'll be a lot of quality left i think and i think people will be just after a connection and friendly and service i think more than anything people are missing i think connection with people and i think that's what hospitality can offer now uh, I don't think there'll be huge fit-outs, uh, lots of money on fit-outs, whatever. You won't have your, your Mimi's uh, fit-outs. You'll have just bog standard with great food and great service. And I think it's going to be, everything will be a lot smaller and you won't have uh, people trying to open three and four restaurants now because uh, they've realized that if something else happens again, this is what happens. So I think we're going to get back to basics in cooking, uh, ingredients 
and service. That actually sounds a bit exciting. It is actually. It's you know, it's a restart and a refresh, as bad as it sounds, because there's a lot of um, crap. Like, you know, your sushi pizza and all that lark. Get rid of all that, mate. <laughs> it's like the uh, COVID-19 tsunami. Just wipe all that crap out and just let the good guys do it. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Like, because it's a, it's, a, it's a tough industry. It's a, already a, a fucking hard industry to be in. Like, we might, our margins are tiny. Uh, so this will just well, warn people. Like, it's not the industry to be in if you, if it, if you're not, if you can't cook and you, and you can't do hospitality. Just stay away. Now, you're saying earlier sort of how important that connection is with producers and, you know, and how tough that they're doing it out there. And obviously, the you know, the chefs and the cult of celebrity and the focus in the media has been on restaurants and chefs, and rightly so. Um, but producers are hurting yeah. just as much, if not more, in some circumstances. Um, is there any producers out there that, you know, people can help, like that um, you can tell us about? Well, I think even like in these hard times, like um, Joto, a pull-off down in the fish markets who supply um, a lot of restaurants, like they've let most of their staff go. They haven't got restaurants. They're doing restaurant orders online. But still on Fridays, they're giving hospitals free fish. So, I mean, if someone's doing that to you, you, you support them when we come back. So, you know what I mean? Jules is handing out free fish to hospitals on Fridays and their business is hurting. Uh, obviously, people like Vix, who's donating to our soup kitchen, his meat market down at Mascot, uh, get down there, see Anthony. Mate, the, the meat's half price because they have to get rid of it. There's so much of it. Otherwise, it goes throws in the bin, well, which is not going to happen. Yeah. And it's something that Jared Ingersoll was saying to us about, you know, the big supermarkets are always going to be there, but it's the little guys that might not be there if we don't support them. And a lot of them are just throwing the produce away because they can't sell it. Yeah, it's pretty, and I mean, like, uh, big ups to Ronnie Khan and Oz Harvest. I'm an ambassador for Oz, Har- Oz Harvest as well. Like, people don't realize that when it gets tough, the people they help don't get the help because there is nothing around, so especially we're coming off the back of bushfires. And so, you know I mean, charities like hers, it, it's, it's, it's not getting true. So it's, it's sort of affecting everyone down the line. Um, and what we saying about oh, just supporting, like, low, like, hi, by. Like not necessarily one. I don't want to have two pizzas on a Friday night, but I book, I'll go over to my pizza shop nude across the road and buy two pizzas on a Friday night just to keep them going. And then someone else will. I'll buy a coffee. Obviously, I'm the legal distance from everybody, so calm down, everyone. Uh, and I <laughs> and my coffee. I'll follow the little arrow in. I'll buy the coffee and follow the arrow out, like just to keep them going. The local area, because the whole thing is, who do you want there when you come out of this? The supermarkets will always be there. And another another thing I think you should highlight and which needs to be addressed after this thing is down the veg markets where they're auctioning off boxes of broccoli and aubergines for fucking $70 more than they're worth. Like it's a, it's a rot at the moment. There's people, it's like the whole, the toilet roll and the sanitizers where they're putting up the money. They're doing it in the veg market at the moment and they should be called out. You know, there's still restaurants going who are going down to buy it and they're charging them double price. Yeah, that's crazy. That needs to be looked at. Just because it's, you know, because because the supermarkets are running out of veg, so they're going down and cleaning out the markets. So then the guys are like, oh, well, the restaurants can pay, you know, they're desperate for veg, so we'll up the price. And that's not on in hard times. You know, and I guess, you know, what sort of epitomizes the hospitality sector and sort of what you're talking about is that they've always got each other's backs. And I guess if there was ever a time where everyone needs to have each other's backs to get through it, it's right now. 
It is. It is. And and you you remember you should remember who diddled you like who done you over in this hard time with money and whatever and got greedy on the back of other people's losses and sort them out when you go when we come back. Don't go back to them. What would you say to everyone out there that um, you know how to get through this and you know what are you doing to get through this, you know and what have we got to look forward to? Uh, what would I say? I uh, a couple of weeks ago when I laid off all our staff and. And I seen chefs who uh, didn't know what was going to happen, even before the government said the stimulus or whatever. Like, and I was like, just take food. And, and to see people who've never had to f- put their hand out for something, put like take food, like I, you know what I mean, and see their soul break. Two weeks ago, I sat in my car and I cried on the way home. Um, I should get quite emotional now. Uh, I cried on the yeah. way home to see my staff be reduced to putting their hand out for food which you should never have to do i mean as as there's people older than me as well like i was like it, that broke my heart and that's what wake me up to do the soup kitchen i was like you know we, we'll do the soup kitchen but it's not a handout and you, whatever you just take food and then you you just fucking give me a handshake in six months time that's all i want oh actually give me a hug <laughs> um and and now i'm doing the soup kitchen that it's I'm actually giving back, so it's good for me. Like, it's still heartbreaking. I, I delivered to a family yesterday who uh, who lost a baby, and they worked for Qantas, and they both lost their jobs, and they're fucking broke. And the woman cried, like, on a doorstep. And I was like, mate, you know, just, well, I'll see you when it become good. Um, so now, what do I do during the day? In the morning, I'm, I'm happy like everyone. My kids have got their school downstairs. I'm great in the morning, and then I'll do some exercise. I may try and work this soup kitchen thing out do a video with the kids in the afternoon is when i usually drop i reckon like my mood drops like everyone like i get a bit down like not every day and then i try and do stuff to get myself back on track i think just keep my mind busy a uh, bit exercise do something with the dog because the dog hears everything the dog knows if that dog could write a book <laughs> fucking hell no <laughs> tell all I'd be in deep shit. Um, the dog knows everything. So I do stuff with the dog and the kids. Like I'm like everyone. I get, And then I start cooking in late in the afternoon for dinner and I'm back on track. But I think my mood dips in the afternoon like everybody. And then I might have a few reds. And then, But I'm trying not to do that. I was I was talking to Guy Grossi the other day and I think we, we were saying we, we've emptied most of the stocks in our restaurant so far, just drinking at night. But but now I'm trying to curb that curb that a bit. But I mean, that's what, that's what everyone does. Like, I mean, you can get into a habit and... But I'm like everyone. Like it's your your moods up in the morning, then down. Like, but then there's some days you open your eyes and you're like, "Fuck!" Yeah. It's like Groundhog Day. Like I don't want to get out of bed, and I think that's the worst thing to do is not get out of bed. I think we've we've got to keep. Apparently, I'm painting the house next week, and that's my worst fucking nightmare. Well, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> not really, <laughs> mate. Um, so, do you have any advice for a bit of hope out there? Like, what I mean, how? What should people look forward to and, and do to get through this? What would I say for the future? I'd say for the future, coming back in as an employees, I would um, look at who looked after you. And I wouldn't be going into a job now asking for a million dollars, like, you know, a chef the party rocking in asking for a million dollars, because I don't think any business has got the money anymore. Obviously, you got to get paid where you get paid, but, you know, I'd help out your employees and, and whatever and, and and try and rebuild a career. And I think it's a good time to start uh, rebuilding and see how a business rebuilds and, and as a young person learn from it and, and how to come back from it and, and take that on to when you go and open a business. I think 
it's a it's a good it's like after the the, um, the GFC uh, to see how to rebuild a business and what to do and taking stock of what you don't need offload everything you don't need you know what I mean and and take stock of what you do need I think this has been a fucking great wake up call from even myself forget about Team Eland or whatever take stock in you know your family and and how to protect your you know just how to protect your house like and pay for it and and you know, get rid of all the fluff. Mate, listen, it's great to chat. Um, we'll catch up soon. Good luck with the house painting next week. <laughs> it's going to be a botch job, mate. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it was one of those shit reality TV shows, I'd be eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. All right, mate, take care and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Stay strong, stay safe. Love you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Stay safe, isolate and be well. <laughs>